Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Good morning. I'm glad you're here with us today as we continue our follow series where we've learned that throughout the Gospels, Jesus's main invitation to people was to follow him. He extended this invitation to all sorts of people. I mean, sinners, the outcast, the rich people, well-to-do, not well-off. I mean, everybody, he extended this invitation to follow him. And we've learned throughout the series so many great reasons why we should follow Jesus. In fact, as I've heard it said, following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. I mean, there's great reasons to follow Jesus. But last week we learned about the fine print. We learned that following Jesus will cost us something. Look what he said, Mark 8, 34. It says, then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, your eyes aren't bad, by the way. It's just a little blurry, okay? You're okay. Um, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So there will be time in your life and time in my life where our agendas and God's agendas are at a crossroads, where you feel like what he wants you to do and well, what you want to do, it's like a fork in the road and it's going opposite directions. And he tells us in advance that this is going to happen, be ready for it, and you got to be willing to give up your own way. But what if we don't want to? I mean, that's a valid option. What if we are following Jesus, but we don't want to give up our way? In fact, we want to make a way. What if we want our will to be done, not his will be done? And in fact, we want to go our own way. We just want to make sure that he blesses us in the process. What if rather than trusting him, we do what we want and say, God, you're just going to have to get me out of this mess. Because sometimes, well, sometimes God just takes too long. Sometimes things aren't that clear. And sometimes we just don't want to do what he wants us to do. Have you ever tried to force God to get on board with your plans? You ever said, hey, I'm going this way, whether you like it or not. Have you ever said, hey, you can try to stop me, but this is where I'm going. I have. Surprise, surprise, right? You see, I joined the Army National Guard when I was in college to help pay for school and get some ministry experience. I had no idea that in the military there was something other than shooting people, right? I didn't know there was jobs. I didn't know there was other things to do. And when I found out there was this ministry opportunity, I said, hey, this is a great idea. Let me join so I can get help in college. I can get some ministry experience. It's a win-win for everyone. And to my surprise, I actually found out I enjoyed army life. I loved the culture. I loved the people. I loved doing ministry with military people because it was raw. It was real. It was the exact opposite of everything I ever found in church. Nobody pretended to have it all together. 
and nobody worried about silly things. You see, when you're in those environments and you all know you're being deployed to a real war real soon, nobody cares about the color of carpet at all. Like when you realize real life is happening and real situations are going on, that petty stuff goes away really quick. And I said, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to give my life to be a military chaplain. So I pursued it. I finished up school. I went to graduate school to get the degree you had to get to be an army chaplain. But there was a catch. You had to get some pastoral experience. And I said, not a problem. I got that covered. So with that goal in mind, I pursued internships, I pursued mentorships, and started working in ministry and finishing up seminary to get that pastoral experience I needed to be an active duty chaplain. But in that process, I found a passion for the local church. Not necessarily what the local church was, but what the local church could be. That the local church could be this place that could also be real, could also be relevant, could also help people have their life transformed by Jesus, and it didn't have to be, well, I don't know, fake. And so I got this passion for this. And I said, okay, I got that. I know I want to be a military chaplain, but this church thing, I don't know, kind of like that too. So I said, let me go ahead and give the church thing a shot. It'll just give me more pastoral experience. That way I have what I need for the army. Like this is just a win, win, win. Everybody wins. So a couple years in a pastoral ministry, I said, this ain't for me. I was like, I'm gonna get fired. I'm telling you, this ain't for me. I don't, church people are weird. I don't understand what they're worried about. And I'm their pastor, right? That's how I felt. I was, like, I was like, this church stuff will not work for me. I can't do it. I got to do something different. So I said, the heck with it. I'm going active duty. I'm going to be an army chaplain. And Jessica, she signed up for this. When we got married, she knew that I wanted to be an active duty army chaplain. She, she was like, okay, let's just go for it. I'm like, all right, let's go. I mean, you get, full, you get really good pay. You get full benefits, retirement. I mean, this is perfect. So I played around with the idea before, but this time I said, I'm doing it. So I called the recruiter and I started moving forward with the paperwork and the packets. It, the process takes a while and it's highly competitive to get in, get chosen for active duty. And I don't say this arrogantly, but I was highly qualified. It's highly qualified because of my education, my pastoral experience, and my previous military experience. So we're like, yeah, this is no problem. You're going to get in. You're going to be selected. It's going to be great. And I said, well, it's like God put all this together for me. This is perfect. Nothing's going to stop me. But... I didn't have peace about it at all. And so because I didn't have peace, I surely wasn't going to ask God about it. I told him, this is what I'm going to do. And I used my great logic and reasoning skills to justify why this is what I was supposed to do. I said, God, you've made me for this. So I went forward in the process. And it was the last stage. I was getting ready to go. Everything had been done. I had my paperwork together. I had to go to medical one last time. I already been through all that before. Get them to stamp that I'm good to go. And I was going the next day, being ready to, um, had the hotel lined up. Everything was good to go. I was leaving, I was going, it was done. But I knew I shouldn't. But I didn't want to be a pastor. And I remember saying, God, if you want to stop me, you're going to have to do it. You're God. You should be able to. I'm moving forward in my way. You ever done that? You ever knew in your heart that you weren't supposed to do something? 
you decided not to pray about it because you didn't want to hear what God had to say. Or you did pray about it, but you just prayed for your will and completely disregarded his will altogether. Have you ever wanted that relationship or that job or that promotion or that college or that grade that you were saying, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get it no matter what? And what happens then? How does it work out when you go against what God has planned for you? What, what happens when you go forward in that type of disobedience? What happens when you try to force God into something? You try to force his plans and say, hey, I'm going here. You better come along. Well, luckily for us, we have a follower of Jesus who does just that. And we can lean in and learn from him. You see, this, this person gave up everything to follow Jesus. He walked around uh, with Jesus for over three years, left his home, left his job, left his career, gave it all up to travel with Jesus. He was one of Jesus's closest disciples. He was even promoted to being an apostle, which meant he was one of these leaders. He was getting this whole ministry left behind to him. Being an apostle, he would have preached he would have seen people healed, perhaps participated in it. He cast out demons. Y'all ever done that before? You're like, well, I did raise children. I don't know if that counts. There's something, there's something in that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Right? He saw Jesus do some incredible things as an apostle. And I'm sure you've heard of him. Well, his name was Judas. May we never forget he was a Jesus follower. May we never forget he did some incredible things with Jesus, but he never gave up his agenda for God's. He wanted what he could get from Jesus. He never wanted what God wanted. He wanted what he wanted. And perhaps, just perhaps, we may find that we have far more in common with him than we'd ever admit. Here's what finally sets him off. We're going to look towards the end of Jesus's ministry. The cross is just a couple of days away. He's repeatedly told his followers over and over again what was going to happen. And here's what it says. Matthew 26, verse 6. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. So Jesus was the honored guest at this meal. And it was customary to anoint the guest with oil, but this oil was very expensive. It's about a year's worth of wages and was probably a family heirloom. So this, this woman comes to anoint Jesus at the special occasion. And it says the disciples were indignant. Next slide. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. So think about how awkward this would have been at the dinner party. You're there with Jesus. Someone comes to anoint Jesus. And then all of a sudden they start calling this woman out discouraging her, saying, hey, you're, you're wasting money on Jesus. 
Well, we learn a little bit more of the story from John. John 12 tells us this. It says, But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth more than a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared about the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So Judas here is stirring the pot, getting the others upset. Not because he really cared what happened to the poor. He just wanted some of that to himself. He wanted to to skim off the top. He wanted personal gain. He wanted what was in it for him, not in it for what was best for Jesus or what he was trying to do. Going back to Matthew, Jesus speaks up. It says, but Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So the disciples criticized Jesus' comforts. She's doing the right thing. She's come to worship, to devote herself to Jesus. She's offering her love and this this sacrifice, this year's worth of wages for him. And Jesus accepts it. She unselfishly is trying to honor him. And the lesson for Judas, well, he's given the opportunity to realize that Jesus is far more important than greed. That something bigger is happening. And he's invited to participate in this special moment. Jesus continues. He says, she has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth that wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And here 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. She may not have meant and set out to anoint Jesus for his burial. She may have just had this prompting. She may have just wanted to show her love and her respect and honor for him. But through her, God was doing something pretty amazing and she was able to participate in it. She is taking part in the greatest event the world will ever see. What Jesus is about to do. And for her, perhaps this was an awkward fork in the road type of moment too. She gets this prompting, this internal thing that, hey, I'm going to take this family heirloom, this year's worth of wages, and I'm going to use it for Jesus. And how many of us, let's be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, be honest with yourself. How many of us, if we got that internal prompting of God wanting us to be very generous, something big going on, and we'd be like, "Mm, that can't be from God, that's too much. Like, I don't know, my my logic kick in, I need need to pass it down, my kids are going to love it. Your kids are just going to use it. I'm just letting you know. They're going to waste it. That's how that works. But how many of us would actually go forward in this and miss out on this? But who knows what she went through, but she followed that prompting. She took a step of faith. She chose generosity in that moment and got to participate in preparing Jesus Christ for the cross and his burial. That is amazing. That is priceless. And Judas is invited in to see this experience and take notes. He's at a crossroads too. What is he going to choose? Because his will and God's will are at odds. What he wants to do and what God wants to do are two very different things. And listen, Judas is allowed to be confused. He's allowed to ask questions. He's allowed to be unsure. I mean, he's allowed to go through all of this and just wait to see what God does. But he has plans and he has an agenda. Rather than leaning and listening, look at verse 14. It says, then, this is a 
part of the story. Then, this is what happened next. This is what he chooses to do. It says, then Judas, then Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So in Judas's mind, he got what he wanted. He got his money. He leveraged his relationship with Jesus for financial gain. I mean, nobody would do that, would they? Leverage their position with Jesus, level, excuse me, leverage their relationship with Jesus for financial gain. And we think, Judas, how could you do this? Judas, don't you remember when you thought you were dying in the boat and, and Jesus spoke to the storm and it went quiet? Don't you remember when he spoke to Lazarus who died and, and Lazarus came out of the tomb? I mean, don't you remember when all those people were healed? Don't you remember when they tried to arrest him before? I mean, Judas, don't, how, why would you think this is gonna work? Judas, how could you do something? Like, how do you think you're gonna hand over Jesus? And I think Judas would have said, exactly. I know what Jesus is capable of. I'm not worried about it. So why not exchange him for silver? I know what Jesus can do. I've seen his power. So why not just sell him out, get some money along the way? It's a win-win because Judas wanted Jesus to finally be the Messiah he was supposed to be. New Testament scholar Craig Bloomberg says, Judas was growing increasingly disenchanted by the type of Messiah Jesus was proven to be. A far cry from the nationalistic military liberator the Jews hoped for would free them from the Roman tyranny. So remember, the reason why they were having such a hard time with Jesus, this is important because when we, we read, we're like, how do they misunderstand him? Remember, they thought Jesus was going to be a military leader because all the people and deliverers from the Old Testament, when they came in, they declared war. They got rid of the oppressors. I mean, they just took the battle to their enemy. So they thought the Messiah, this deliverer, would once again rise up an army, get rid of Rome, get rid of the oppression. They could be the people they all were supposed to, always supposed to be. But Jesus keeps talking about about dying. He keeps talking about leaving. Like he, he needs to get on and be the Messiah he's supposed to be. And so all Judas wants to do is push Jesus to come out, to be the king, to, to get on with it. Judas wants what he wants. He has ex, his expectations. He has his desires. And regardless of what God's doing, he wants God to do this. And I get Judas. This is exactly what I wanted to do. I figured, hey, God could fix my mess if I got myself into it. I mean, if I joined the army, he could make it work. In fact, I got super, I was like, look, Lord, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna have, I'll do 20 years, I'll get retirement, then I won't be a burden to the church. Y'all ever made things spiritual? Look, I'm gonna make this super spiritual. God, like, this is for you. Like, I got this figured out. I've, I've already given you all this, God. I've already given you my life, God. I've already done all this. Look at my resume. Look at how much I've changed. I don't even cuss anymore, God. Like, come on. This is awesome. Look at what I'm doing. So can't you give me this? I mean, my will and your will can't be that different. You see, the worst thing you and I could do is read Judas's story and think that we would never act just like him or that we don't act just like him. Trying to 
impose our will over God's will. Trying to do what we want. Have a little bit of Jesus to be blessed. Have a little bit of Jesus to get into heaven. Have a little bit of Jesus, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. I, I, don't, I don't want to get too uncomfortable, God, like things are going too good, like my life is perfect. I don't, I don't want that, but I want a little bit of Jesus so I can get into heaven. He just wanted enough Jesus to be blessed, not to lay down his plans. He wasn't expecting the Messiah to be like it was, and how many of us have not expected God to be like he is? But Judas thinks he can force the hand of God. He thinks he can get him to do what he wants him to do. And the crazy thing about it all, folks, is he lets Judas do it. But he gives him one more warning. Jesus was sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, a special time they celebrate, uh, the, the, what, excuse me, what the special time the Jews celebrate, the special meal, the Passover of what God did in Egypt. This is that meal that Jesus took, reinterprets it around himself. And we call it the Lord's Supper. And at this meal where he's celebrating with his disciples, he says this. It says, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Final warning, Judas, I know what you're up to. You haven't been hiding. You haven't been hiding this. You're not very good at it. I'm Jesus. I know what's going on. And nothing has happened yet. Judas, you can give it up. You can come clean. Right now, Judas, in this moment. And this is what I want you to see because these are often these moments where God tries to give us a wake-up call. A warning not to take the next step. And often if we're not looking for it or we're ignoring it, we can blow right past it. If our mind is made up, we can miss God's final warning calling us out. And again, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize life, folks, but if you pay attention, these things happen all the time. He was right, in, excuse me, this was right in his face. The story of Judas, everything could have been different. See, this is where me and Judas, we take different paths. You see, the day before I was supposed to go to medical, the recruiter called me, and I just figured he was checking to make sure everything was good. I had my plans, the hotel, all the orders, everything. I was ready to go. And he said, every, I called, I said, yeah, everything's good. He said, well, you can't come tomorrow. I said, why? You need something else? Paperwork not filled out? What's going on? He said, nope. He said, you are under investigation with the Army Criminal Investigation Unit. <laughs> this is a true story. I said, do what? He said, yeah, you're under investigation right now. You, you can't come in. You're flagged. You're not able to move forward with the military or any federal job at all. I said, do what? Why? And he told me why. I, I participated in this recruiting program when I was enlisted. And all it was is if you knew somebody wanted to get in, you gave them the reference, you helped them at the beginning stage of the process, they gave you a little bit of money, like a thousand bucks, not a lot. It was just a recruiting type of bonus. And there was a ton of fraud happening. Basically, people, recruiters were saying, hey, listen, I'm going to pretend you know this guy. We're going to put your name down and me and you'll split the money. There was a ton of fraud happening. So I was under investigation for it. And I was like, well, I did that with two people, but they worked for me. Like two people I did this with. And so when, when I found out I was under investigation, you'd figure I would have said, okay, Lord, what are you doing? You don't know me very well. I said, challenge accepted. I'm going to make this happen anyways. I was like, this is no big deal. I can fix this because I knew these two people. They worked for me. I had employment records. Like, I didn't do fraud. 
It's just easy. God, I can fix this. And then I did think for a moment. I said, wait. And again, this was not so obvious in the moment, folks. I thought, is God threatening me with federal prison right now? <laughs> like, is that what's going on? I mean, Joseph wasn't guilty, folks, and he went to prison. I said, perhaps this is his answer to, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you have to stop me. And I said, maybe, maybe I should let this go. And I did, begrudgingly. And maybe for you, this entire sermon is a warning because maybe you're on that verge of making that decision and ignoring Jesus. Maybe he's calling you out saying, I don't think that's a good idea. And you're like, yeah, but God, it's a great idea. And he's like, no, it's not. Or maybe this is his way of telling you, I'm not going to fix that mess you're about to get into. You're going to have to live with it. This is your final warning not to move forward. Or maybe you are dragging your feet. You're supposed to move forward. This is your final warning to get on board or to get out of that relationship or to move on to that thing. He's saying, listen, it's time. And perhaps this is your wake-up call for him to say, let's go. I'm not asking you again. And before you ignore the warning and think it's not a big deal, God will get me out of the mess, he's done it before, I need you to lean in and listen to the rest of Judas' story. Because Jesus gave Judas one more shot. He reported to the, he gave him one more shot and Judas rejected it. Judas went to the priest and told him, hey, I know where Jesus is going to be. Remember that Jews didn't want to arrest Jesus in front of the crowds because they were afraid a riot was going to break out because of how popular Jesus was. So they waited till he was alone with his 12. Judas went to the priest and said, hey, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be in this garden by himself. It's going to be night. Perfect time. Come arrest him. He says, in fact, I'll take you to him and I'll kiss him. It's going to be dark. You'll know exactly who, him is, who he is. You can take care of it. So he does it. They arrest Jesus. And I'm sure Judas is thinking, no big deal. I got my pockets lined. Jesus is going to get out of it. We're good to go. Burr, Matthew 27, verse 1, it says, Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting, putting Jesus to death. What about a trial? What about justice? What, what, what about all that? I mean, what's going on? They're just going to kill him? So they bound him and led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And this is where everything falls apart for Judas. And perhaps this is where everything falls apart for you. Because sometimes things go way farther than you thought they would. Because you can't predict the future and you can't control sin. And we think we can. We think we got it. Until we don't. You see... Judas was turning them over to the Jewish authorities because they can't do that much. And Judas knew that. You can't kill him. He's been evading you anyways. No big deal. He'll get out of it. They certainly couldn't kill Jesus. But now the Jews are partnering with the Gentiles. Now the Jews are partnering with Rome. They didn't like Rome. They didn't want to be under Rome. And all of a sudden, the Jewish leaders are coming together with the Roman leaders. who are like, hey, we're going to take this guy out. Judas did not see that one coming. This wasn't what's supposed to happen. Judas had his plans. That wasn't his plan, but God had something bigger and differently happening. He just wants Jesus to step up and be the king. Verse three, it says, and when G Judas 
who had betrayed him realized that Jesus had been condemned to death, his heart was filled with, excuse me, he was filled with remorse. He didn't mean for this to happen, folks. It wasn't the way it was supposed to go. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and to the elders. He said, this is way too far. I didn't mean Judas to be killed. I didn't want this to happen. I just wanted him to do what I wanted him to do. That's not a big deal, is it? I just want God to be on my terms. I want God to do what I want him. I want to be blessed along the way like this. No big deal. So he confesses. He goes to them. He gives them back the money. And he says in verse four, he says, I have sinned, he declared. I betrayed an innocent man. He knew and tried to fix it. But he learned what many of us are about to learn or have learned. They said, why do we care? Verse five. They retorted, that's your problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins in the temple and went out and hanged himself. We cannot control the outcome of our decisions and we aren't nearly as smart as we think we are. Things can often get out of control quickly. And sometimes in life you just want to redo, but there are no redos. You chose this path, the destination is set, and you want to get out of it. You want things to be different, but you've gone too far. Some things you do just can't be undone. But he had a choice. He was warned several times, stop, don't, I know. You see, God's hand cannot be forced, nor can we prevent him from accomplishing his plans. The only thing that happened here, folks, is Judas missed out on Jesus. He missed out on seeing the resurrected Savior that would have changed everything because it changed everything for the other disciples and the other apostles. He missed out if he would have just waited, if he would have just trusted, if he took his questions and his, and his, his, his confusion and just sat at it. Jesus said, hey, I don't know. I don't understand. I'll just let you figure this out. Instead of trying to force his way, if he would have waited, he would have saw. But you see, Jesus teaches us something about following him, something towards the beginning of his ministry. When he taught you and me and them, he taught us how to pray. And it's quite often overlooked, but it's very important. And this is what I want us to grab hold of today. As a Jesus follower, here's our prayer, Matthew 6. The second part, he says, our prayer should be, may, say that with me, your will. How many of our prayers are my will? That's where we start, and that's all we ask. My will. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's what I got going on. Mine, mine, mine. No, no. We go to him and say, hey, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your kingship. I want your reign to come forward in my life. We're told as Jesus followers, we're going to have to adjust our plans and our desires according to God's plans and God's desires. Our prayer life needs to be focused on getting ourselves ready to change. Like, yeah, I don't want to change. And you've missed being a Christian. Because being a Christian is about change. Because you are not God and you are not perfect. I'm sorry if nobody told you that before. The Christian life is about change. About growing closer to him. And giving up our wants and our desires for his wants and his needs. It doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to get it perfect, but that's what the Christian life is. And so many people walk away from faith because God doesn't meet their expectations. 
They think God's not supposed to let bad things to happen to good people. I can't handle it. God's not supposed to let bad things happen to those good people. Folks, that's not the God of the Bible. Jesus died for our sins. Talk about a terribly unfair thing. He was a great person and something terrible happened to him. We think, well, God didn't do what I wanted or I asked. You know, so I'm just leaving. I'm walking away. But folks, he's God. You're not. I mean, disappointment and frustration is part of life. Suffering is a part of our faith. Jesus suffered. Like, we are told we will suffer. We are told that bad things will happen, but in the midst of that, God will be with us. He says, so prepare for him. And it's in those hard circumstances, those dark times, our faith is revealed to see if we even have faith at all. And many people walked away from their faith and they needed to walk away from their faith because their faith wasn't in Jesus Christ. It wasn't in the faith of the God of the Bible. It was in something completely made up. And it didn't work and it won't work. And I'm glad you left that. But Jesus leans in and says, but I got you. Come on, follow me. I'll take care of you. I got this thing figured out. I got this. I said, well, Jesus, I don't know. He says, look at the cross. Look at my love. Look at my mercy. Look at what I've done. You can trust me. I got this. You still unsure? Well, I did raise from the grave. I mean, come on. Like, you beat that. And we can't. And so we say, okay. And we follow after him. And listen, these big decisions, I don't want you to worry about it or over-spiritualize your life. Some of you do that way too much as it is. You don't have to worry about making the wrong decisions. God's not out to get you. He's not out to be like, aha, you messed up. Here's my wrath. No, no. God's our loving father who wants to guide and lead and be there with us. You aren't going to know many answers to many of the things you want to do, and it's okay. That's why so much of the Bible is made up of wisdom. It's okay to make wise choices. For instance, you're like, I want to buy this car. God hasn't spoke to me about it. Folks, apply wisdom. Can you afford the car? I know we don't think like that. We're like, I don't know. I don't want to ask that question. I get it. Can I afford the car, right? Hey, I want to move, but I don't know. Should I move? Can you afford it? Like, start there. If God speaks to you, great. I mean, if you're living open-handed, ask him. If he speaks to you, great. If he doesn't, then he doesn't. Use wisdom and move forward. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about those things that you're going to know, those things he already told you, those things you are completely ignoring him about, thinking it'll be okay, hoping that God's going to bless your sin. He won't. It's not going to happen. And you're going to have to live with the consequences of it. And you're not going to like it. And you're going to come to me later and be like, well, Brian, I wasn't expecting. I'm going to say, I don't know. You walk down that path. He can redeem it, but you got to live with it. That's where we're at. Because I am not familiar. Listen, if you're trying to make these decisions and work through this stuff, I'm not familiar with one story in the Bible where God has a hard time getting a hold of people if he wants to. But I'm familiar with plenty of stories of people walking away and ignoring exactly what God is telling them to do. Y'all ever done that? Like, I knew I wouldn't shouldn't have, but I did anyways. Bible's full of people like you and me. 
But you cannot force God to do what you want him to do. And you're not going to stop him from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. All you can do is frustrate your life and your plans. Because Jesus didn't stop Judas from doing what he wanted him to do. And Judas didn't stop Jesus from what he wanted to do. And chances are he's not going to stop you either. And so my prayer, I hope for you and I hope your prayer this week, is why not start with not my will, but your will, Lord. Try living open-handed this week and coming to him first and foremost saying, God, I want to be about what you got going on. Stop interjecting your problems. Stop interjecting your dreams. Stop interjecting your first. Stop interjecting you. Start saying, not mine. But Lord, what do you have? And folks, if we lived open-handed and asked and followed, you'd be amazed at what he can do with all that. Because here's the funny thing. His will's gonna be done either way. You can get on board with it or you can live frustrated. But he's God. And so for me, the funny thing about my story is I just got a letter two months ago that I was clear. (laughs) Over seven years later, God stopped me from joining the military or any other federal job I'd ever think about. He shut the door. Now I'm too old for it. My age has passed. So he said, you want me to stop you, buddy? Got it. His will is going to happen regardless, folks. You might as well follow alongside and allow him to lead you so you can experience what that looks like living for Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning open-handed, ready to give up our plans and our desires for your purposes. And Lord, that is scary. Father, help us want what you want. Help us in following you with our heart's desires. Help us lay down our our wants. Help us pick up the cross. And Heavenly Father, we know that life isn't fair. We know we have unmet expectations. But help us cling to you in those moments and trust in you and allow our faith to shine through. Father, many of us here today have made decisions that created messes in our lives. We know we have to live and deal with those consequences of ignoring you and walking away. Father, we ask you to redeem those situations for your glory. You are the God of redemption and forgiveness. We know that you could turn any situation around, but we also know we have our part to play. So, Father, help us want what you want. Help your will to be done and help us just cling to you, Father. Father, for those here who are on the verge of walking away and doing it on their own, I pray that today is their wake-up call to get on track with you. And I pray that their prayer, and you bring it to their mind, Lord, please bring it to their mind. Not my will, but your will. So, Father, as a church, we lay down our wants and desires, and we say, not our will, Father, but your will. We want to walk boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.